Well, I'm still here. So we don't have a baby yet. But we're hopeful. Today, I want to talk about one question. And that is this. How do you live a life that is marked by peace instead of worry? How do you live a, a life that is marked by peace instead of worry? When I was um, in ninth grade at my school, we had a class that all ninth graders took called wellness. And basically it was just a gym class. Um, and I heard from an upperclassman who was um, in the class that at one point we would have to take a weightlifting unit in the class and we were gonna have to bench press in front of the class and everybody was gonna have to record on this board your uh, one rep max or something like that. And, um, and I was terrified, uh, literally. Um, if you think I'm small now, you should have seen me in ninth grade. Um, and so, I mean, literally, I found out about that like October. I think the weightlifting unit was gonna be in February. And I'm like losing sleep at night, trying to prepare the best that I can for this terrible moment. Um, and it turns out that, that in the class, there were some football players and they were really excited to get to the weightlifting unit. And the coach, uh, our gym teacher, was the football coach. And so he was really excited that these guys also wanted to go to the weightlifting unit. And so we accelerated uh, the weightlifting unit. We did it early. Um, and uh, I hated it. Um, <laughs> but then something interesting happened in 10th grade. I had a class called Communication Arts. And I was in that class with some of the same football players who couldn't wait to get to the bench pressing unit. And suddenly, they were the ones who were worried. And I wasn't worried about communication arts class. In fact, our first speech, a five-minute informational speech we had to give, I forgot it was my turn to go the day that I showed up to class. And so I just made it up real quick before I went up there. And I wasn't worried at all. What's the difference? Why was I worried in one environment and at peace in another? And why were people who were at peace in this environment worried in another? Confidence. One of the keys to living a life of peace rather than worry is just being confident. And if the worst problems that you had to face were gym class and communication arts, then maybe life would actually be pretty simple. Just be confident. Like, it's all going to work out. And if you're confident, you can be at peace. But life's a lot more uncertain than that, isn't it? There are all kinds of uncertainties that we face. And because the future is uncertain... It's actually pretty hard to be confident at times. Um, Chapman University every year makes, they, they do a study and they release a report that lists some of the top worries, concerns, and fears of Americans. 
And there are all kinds of things that large percentages of the country, according to this study, are worried about. Things going on in our country that people are worried about. There's COVID-19, there's the COVID regulations and how those will affect society, how those will affect the economy, how those will affect liberty. There's the concern over corruption and the character of government officials. There's concern over healthcare. There's concern over gun laws and regulations. There's concern over environmental issues, pollution, climate change, drought, famine. And then there are also things that people are worried about that could happen to our country. War, nuclear warfare, biological warfare, cyber warfare, a terrorist attack, a natural disaster, an economic collapse. And then there are also things in people's personal lives. The health of you or a family member, someone you love losing their life, a relationship and, and stress that's entailed in that relationship, whether that be a spouse or a kid or your parents. There's work and all the responsibilities that people have at work. There's finances and stress that goes along with those. And then there are also just personal insecurities that people feel. Because there are so many things that could happen, because there are so many things that you cannot control, because life is so uncertain, because there's so much unknown, confidence is actually kind of a challenge at times. If there's so much uncertainty and so few things are guaranteed, then how do you live with confidence? And how do you experience a life of peace rather than worry? That's what the Apostle Paul wants to help us with today. What we're gonna see in the text today is Paul gives us two practices Two confidence-building practices that can lead to a life of peace instead of worry. We're going to look at those two things today, and then I'm going to give you a homework assignment. So, let's jump in. Today's text starts with what seems like a pretty unreasonable, yet straightforward Command. Paul says, verse 6, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Another way to translate this verse would be to say, stop worrying. All right, well then, hey, just stop. Life's more complicated than that, isn't it? certainly feels that way. 
And what's interesting about Paul saying don't worry about anything is Paul's situation when he says that. He's in jail. His life's on the line. What's going to happen to him is uncertain. And the group of people that he tells to not worry about anything are in pretty difficult circumstances as well. They're this small group of Christians. They're beginning to experience persecution from the outside world who doesn't like the fact that they are Christians. And they're also beginning to experience division inside the church. Two people who are leaders in the church are at odds with one another. It's creating division. And Paul says, yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about anything. And when he says not to worry, what is he actually prohibiting? What's the word worry actually mean? To worry about something is to be overly concerned about it. To be overly concerned about it. So worry, like all sin, is when you take something good, you overdo it, and it becomes destructive. You take something good, you overdo it, and it becomes destructive. Rest. Think about rest for a minute. Rest is a good thing. You need rest. When you overdo rest, it becomes laziness, and it becomes destructive. Work is a good thing. We need work. We need people who work hard. Work is a good thing that when overdone, when work begins to consume your life, it becomes destructive. Sex is this way. Sex is a good thing that God designed. And when done outside of God's intention, actually becomes a destructive thing. When done beyond its limits, concern can become a destructive thing. That's what worry is. Some concern about the future is good. What would we call it if people lived their lives without any thought at all about the future. We would call that foolish. We would call that irresponsible. That's not what's being prohibited here. In fact, the same word for worry in verse 6 is used in chapter 2, verse 28. And verse uh, 20, I think. The idea is not that you shouldn't care about the future. Worry is when you overcare. It's when you assume that the future's outcome is dependent on you, that you must be in control of the future. That's what worry is. What Paul is not addressing here is all the nuances of the modern day category of anxiety or anxiety disorders. He's talking about a specific type of anxiety, worry, where you overthink about the future. You overthink about things that you can't control. That's what Paul is saying. Hey, just stop that. Don't worry about anything. Well, yeah, but, but what about disease? What about pandemics? Yeah, don't worry about it. Well, but what about the, the economy? 
Yeah, don't worry about it. What about this project I've got at work and it's just, it's so overwhelming. Don't worry about it. What about my kid though? They've got to figure out all this stuff and don't worry about anything, he says. Instead, pray about everything. And this is the first practice that Paul wants to give us, the first confidence-building practice that Paul wants us to get into our lives in order to experience peace. Look at what he says, the rest of verse six. Don't worry about anything, okay? But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Prayer is actually something that can guard you from worry. Rather than living in your head, being overly concerned about the future, pray about that stuff, he says. Rather than being overly concerned in my head about all of these things, all of these uncertainties, Paul says, pray. Now, if on the surface, you want to roll your eyes at that, or it feels like that's just what the pastor is supposed to say, and like you can just, you know, well, that makes sense, it's Thanksgiving week, and I had to pull out the, you know, this kind of message, be positive message or whatever. Um, if on the surface that's how you feel, you're in good company. Because that's kind of how I feel sometimes with this kind of stuff. It's like, really? Okay, pray. All right, what else do you got, though? Because um, what's like a principle? Could you give me a principle or like a really keen insight? And Paul says, in everything, Pray. But he doesn't just leave us with this ambiguous pray, but he actually tells us how to pray. He says, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. There are essentially two parts to prayer in Paul's mind in this verse. This is not all the Bible teaches about prayer, but these are two important things the Bible teaches about prayer. The two parts are basically this thanking God for stuff and asking God for stuff. Thanking God for stuff and asking God for stuff. Now we could nuance that a little bit more, but that's basically what it means. Thank God for stuff, ask God for stuff. Paul says, if you will, will weave that rhythm into your life, here's what will happen. Verse seven. And the peace of God. Here's the result of choosing to pray about everything. Thanking God for stuff and asking God for stuff. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. That is, it won't even make sense. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you 
Well, stop worrying. Stop living in your head with everything going on. And instead, take those burdens to the Lord in prayer. The peace of God will guard you. What is the peace of God? This little phrase, peace of God, I think, refers to God's peace. (laughs) Wasn't super clear. Let me help you uh, think through this. The peace of God isn't just peace that God chooses to give us. So peace of God doesn't mean peace from God. It's literally the peace that God himself has. Did you know something? Did you know that God is at peace? God is not worried about tomorrow. Now, he's got a leg up on you because he actually knows what tomorrow will look like. And that's why we need his peace. Prayer is the process that begins to move my confidence off of myself and places it in him. And if you're skeptical of how simplistic that sounds, maybe a neuroscientist will be convincing to you. Dr. Andrew Newberg, who's a neuroscientist at Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia, he's written a book numerous books about the way to change your mind and change your life. He happens to be a Christian, and he says, intense, long-term contemplation of God appears to permanently change the structure of those parts of the brain that control our moods, give rise to our conscious notions of self, and shape our sensory, our sensory perceptions of the world. After studying this, he's concluded that long-term contemplation of God, that is prayer and meditation, it actually restructures your brain. Prayer is God's gift to us to help us transfer confidence away from ourselves so that we're not just living in our little heads and hearts anymore, but instead we can experience his peace through prayer. It's kind of like this. When I was a kid, um, I always had like um, an overactive imagination, particularly when going to bed at night. And so I would come up with all of these crazy scenarios that could happen and just ask my dad about them constantly. And what if a plane crashes into the house or what if you know, somebody comes through this. I know that we've got locks on our doors, but this window is actually pretty big. And if I was going to break into our house, this is actually probably how I would do it. And what if they get me in the middle of the night and I'm asleep and so I can't, you know, yell for help. And I would just come up with these scenarios, you know. And it's a pretty typical thing, I think. Um, my dad would always just tell me, go to bed, it'll be better in the morning, you know. And he would go to bed. Um, And in the middle of the night when I would wake up with some kind of crazy thought and I would be afraid, I would just yell, 
Daddy! Daddy! And I would yell across the house, and he would come stumbling in, you know, just in his boxers, and, what, son? You know? And what was amazing, though, is the moment that he stepped into the room, I feel better. (laughs) Why? Nothing changed. Literally, the scenario had not decreased. Like, it's not like, well, now, because my dad's here, the, the probability of a plane crashing into the house is actually, according to my calculation, I mean, like, literally nothing had changed. But when my dad's in the room, I don't have to carry this stuff. And that is the power of prayer. Worry is when I feel the need to carry it all by myself. Prayer is the process that says, you know what? My confidence is not actually rooted in me, but it's rooted in someone else. Prayer is the process that transfers confidence away from me and into God. And so Paul says, if you will pray, if you will thank God for stuff and ask God for stuff, The peace of God, the peace that is God's will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The word guard is a military term. It refers to to the way that soldiers defend a city. Philippi is a Roman colony. They have a Roman military base that's in their community. And so when he uses this term, they all know exactly what he's saying. God's peace will set up camp to guard you. God will build a fort to guard you through the process of prayer. Now notice what he's guarding. He's not guarding you from all terrible things that could happen. He's guarding you from worry. He's guarding you so that you can experience peace, regardless of the circumstances. Paul will talk more about that in next week's chapter, or section, we're in the same chapter. So the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind through the practice of prayer. Worry is the result of misplaced confidence. Prayer transfers the confidence. So that's the first practice, is pray. Here's the second practice. Look at verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, and here's the verb, dwell on these things. The word dwell or dwell on literally just means to think about, to calculate, to analyze, to Think deeply about. That's what it means. It's an accounting term, actually. So you're 
Worry is when you're dwelling on, it's when you're analyzing, it's when you're calculating, it's when you're thinking deeply about all kinds of other stuff. The unknown, the uncertainty. What if? Paul says, think about this kind of stuff. Set your mind on this kind of stuff. What you think about determines so much about your life. Um, And it's easy to just say, okay, well, I I don't need to worry. Okay, that's an easy thing. But you got to be more active than that. I mean, just, I'm not going to worry today. That's just leaving your mind open for something to come in and fill it. To be proactive against worry, you have to choose what you think about. It's uh, in Randy Alcorn. He has a little book called *The Purity Principle*, where he writes um, to men and women about how to control their thought life and how to um, pursue purity in numerous areas of life. And one of the things he says, this is an illustration he uses that I've just I've always remembered, is he says, if I told you not to think about a snake, don't think about a snake. Whatever you do, don't picture a snake right now. A big snake with a tongue. Don't picture a big snake right now. Okay, whatever you do. Well, you're thinking about a a snake. You can't just not try to think about stuff. To take your mind captive, to really change your life. You've got to change what you think about by actually trying to think about the right things. And that's what Paul is emphasizing here. This isn't, hey, just don't worry. You're good. But fill your mind. The same energy you would spend thinking about other things, fill your mind with this kind of stuff. What kind of stuff? He says, whatever is true. That just means whatever's real. What's truthful? Sometimes you can drive around, you can listen to an old song, you can get nostalgic about what life would have been like or this season of life that was back here. And by thinking about what could have been, by thinking about steps that would have happened, by living there, you're actually living in a fantasy land. Yeah, but that's not life anymore. And by living in that nostalgic place, by thinking about how great it could have been if we, man, if we would have done this, then you get home and you look at how things are. You look at your wife, you look at your husband, you look at your kids, you look at your stuff and you're disappointed, you're bitter, you get angry. That's one example. And there's a hundred. Not everybody's a nostalgic 
think about life and get sad and then respond with anger because I'm disappointed. That's not everybody's thing, but that's some people's thing. That's an example of not setting your mind on what's real, what's true. You're driving around, it feels good to reminisce and be nostalgic, but that doesn't actually help you. Maybe you need to think about what's true, what's real. He says, whatever is honorable. The word honorable refers to lofty, majestic things. Things that lift the mind from the cheap to the noble. What's majestic that you could possibly think about? See, the Christian faith gives us much resources in this area. Theology is not impractical. The deep things of God, it's not like that just belongs in a classroom. That actually belongs in your life. To think about majestic things like God's glory can actually save your life. He says, whatever is just, that is, what's right? What's good? What's 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 right towards God and men? Think about that stuff. Whatever is pure. To be pure means to be fit for the presence and service of God. To be free from sinful motives or intentions. Whatever is lovely, he says. The word lovely is the only place it appears in the New Testament. It means that which calls forth love or that which is attractive to people, winsome to people. One commentator said, thus, the Christian's mind is to be set on things that elicit from others not bitterness and hostility, but admiration and affection. Whatever is commendable, that is, what is kind and likely to win people and avoiding what is likely to give offense, He summarizes this by saying, if there is anything morally excellent, if there are any qualities that are good, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on, think on, calculate, meditate on these things. Paul is saying, if you want a life of peace instead of worry, then think about what you think about. What do you daydream about? What's the quickest to fill your mind? If you want to pursue a life of peace, be intentional about filling your mind with these kinds of things. He finishes in verse nine by saying this, do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. In verse seven, he says that the peace of God will guard your heart 
In verse nine, he says that the God of peace will be with you. Now, God is always with you, particularly if you are a follower of Jesus. He's with you in a special, unique way. What he's referring to here is the experience of that presence. Pray and meditate, and you'll experience God's peace. I think that's the idea. How do we live lives of peace? We pray and we meditate. And here's the deal. We've titled this message, Dwelling on the Gospel, because it's the gospel that actually can draw us into prayer, and it's the gospel that actually gives us great resources to think about. Here's what I mean. The gospel is the message that God created us to be in deep fellowship with him and one another but we have broken that fellowship by rebelling against him and trying to be wise in our own eyes, taking things into our own hands. God loves us and desires relationship with us, so he has sent his son, Jesus. Jesus leaves heaven and he comes to earth. He takes on the likeness of humanity, becoming a human. He lives the life we should have lived. He goes to the cross and he dies in our place to pay for our sins so that we can be forgiven and freed from our sins. He is raised from the dead in power and glory. He ascends to be with his father and he promises to return to judge the living and the dead. That's the gospel. That message, when believed, can give us peace with God. But in order to believe that message, you have to do something uncomfortable. In order to believe that message, you have to admit that on your own, doing things in your own way, trying to live according to your own thoughts actually makes life worse. And not only do you have to believe that, but you also have to believe that you need God. You are weak. He is strong. Unless you can embrace that message, you can't embrace it the gospel. You can't become a Christian unless you recognize I'm weak. There are things about me that are, that are off, that are not right. There are things about me that I cannot fix myself. I need God to do something for me. And that is the same belief you have to embrace in order to pray. The belief that would lead you to pray is the same belief that would lead you to embrace the gospel. See, as long as you are ultimately responsible for your life, then prayer is an absolute waste of time. For you, if, if you've got this long list of things that you're stressed about, that you're worried about, that, that could happen, for your first response to that list to be to go in a room by yourself for 20 minutes and pray, that is absolutely absurd unless you believe that you're weak and he's strong and you need, something, you need him to do something that you cannot do for yourself. 
If you are ultimately in control, then get to work on the list. Don't avoid the list for a minute to go pray. Get to work. Prayer is something you only do if you believe I'm weak, he's strong. I need help that only he can give. And so not only does the gospel drive you towards prayer because the the belief that embraces the gospel is the same belief that would lead you to pray, but the gospel also provides excellent resources for which to think about, for which to meditate on. What kind of God is inviting us into fellowship? What's this God like? Think about it. What kind of God would be so angry at evil that he would send his own son to pay for it? Think about it. What kind of God would offer peace to rebellious sinners? Think about it. See, as you meditate on the gospel, you will inevitably think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, you will find moral excellencies and praiseworthiness to think about if you meditate on the gospel. So how do we live a life of peace instead of worry? We practice prayer and we practice meditation. Now, I want to give you a homework assignment to help you with this, all right? Um, This is something that I started doing in college that I have done regularly since then, and it is just a mindful exercise that helps me uh, to think um, and to focus my thoughts, and it helps me to pray, and it's very simple, all right? So you're going to have to... um, It's simple, but you're really going to have to follow along, okay? You get a piece of paper. I personally prefer legal pads. It can be any piece of paper, okay? Uh, It could be a spiral notebook. It could be a a blank piece of computer paper, as I like to call it. Um, So step one, piece of paper, all right? There's a lot of freedom in what kind of paper you use. (laughs) Step two is you could get a pen. I am currently using a Sharpie because it'll be easier for you to see, but I don't recommend a Sharpie unless you just really want to use a marker. The first step to this homework assignment is you are going to draw a line down the middle of the page, right? You tracking with me so far? Piece of paper, pen, line down the page. You got it? All right. Then you're going to write, thanks in the left column, right? Next, you're going to write requests 
in the right column. All right? You got it so far? Now, this next step is optional. I could draw a line like that. All right? So now we've got a T chart, okay? And here's what you're going to do. You are going to sit down and you are going to start listing things that you can be thankful for. And in order to do that, think about God first. What about God is there for you to be thankful for? Now, if you just literally started trying to make a list, I mean, you could do that for an hour. And as you start to make the list, okay, what is there about God that I could be thankful for? Maybe you start Googling, okay, what are, how do we actually know that God is generous? All right, that's something that people say at church or whatever, but how do we know that? Where does the Bible actually talk about that? Google is your friend. And now you've got one thing that you're thankful for with God. He's generous. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. Okay, so the Bible says that. He's generous, okay? Now I've got a verse that I'm thinking about. What does that mean? The Father of lights. This is James chapter one, right? You can go read this. What does that mean? And now you know what you're not thinking about? Whatever you're worried about. You're thinking about who God is. So you're gonna think about God and some things that you could be thankful for with him. Then you're gonna think about other things that you're thankful for, people in your life that you're thankful for. Write them down. Things that you're thankful for, write them down. And what's amazing is the process of practicing gratitude like that will naturally make your mind start to think about Philippians 4, verse 8. Things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are lovely, things that are pure. You'll naturally start thinking about those things if you're practicing thanksgiving. And then after you do thanks, the thanks column, so you're gonna think about who God is, who the people are in your life, what things he's given you. Those are three easy categories to kind of think through. God, people, stuff, all right? Now you're gonna move to the right column. Requests. What are you asking God for? What are you asking God for? Most times in little prayer request circles, I'm always amazed because prayer requests don't actually get mentioned. What happens is people just say what they're stressed about, which is fine. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So by all means, I mean, tell God what you're stressed about. Work, okay, that's pretty general. What else? But present your requests to him. What do you want God to do for you? I'm stressed at work is not a request. What do you want God to do? Ask him. And the process of actually thinking through what you want to ask him for is again a process that begins to work on your heart and your mind. It begins to transfer your confidence off of yourself and onto him. So this week, it's a perfect week to do it anyway because it's Thanksgiving. You're gonna go home, get a piece of paper. 
pen, thinks, requests, and work on it. That's the homework assignment. Do not be surprised if you start to experience peace. Today, we have the privilege of getting to come to the Lord's table to give thanks for what he's done. When we take the Lord's Supper, if you've got one of these packets, you can go ahead and get that out. We'll eat this together in just a minute. But when we take the Lord's Supper, this is a gift that God has given us to dwell on the gospel, to remember who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. So if you would open that. This piece of bread represents Jesus' body. A body that he has because he chose to selflessly come to earth as a human. A body that would be beaten, bruised, whipped. A body that would go to the cross for sinners like us. The cup is a picture or a symbol of Jesus' blood. Blood that he shed so that sinners like us could be forgiven. Whenever we eat the Lord's Supper, we're reminding ourselves and we're also proclaiming to the people around us that we are sinners who need a Savior named Jesus. That it's only by receiving Jesus that my, that my heart can really live. It's only by receiving Jesus that I can have life That's what we're confessing as we take this. If you would, take just a moment. Prepare your heart by confessing any sin that you need to and focusing your eyes on the cross. The Apostle Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you stand and sing with us?